Hello and welcome. I'm Anastasia Glova. Friday is finally here and I'm bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast for January 26th. The president has made repeated calls to the American public to reduce gasoline consumption, as in his State of the Union address earlier this week. Bush's enthusiasm for energy independence and alternative energy sources have prompted Cato senior fellow Jerry Taylor to question the validity of the president's proposals. I think most people are glad to hear the president wanting to reduce gasoline consumption. Why shouldn't this be a priority? The question of how much gasoline this country consumes is a question that's best left to consumers, not to politicians. I mean, orders about thou shalt consume this or thou shalt consume that is the staple of five-year Soviet economic plans, not free market economies. Given price, people will consume as much gasoline as they think best. And the president nor Congress has any business telling people what they should or should not buy. If people want to cut back on gasoline, that's great. They have all sorts of opportunities to do that. They can buy a more fuel-efficient car. They can take mass transit to work. They can move closer to work. They can cut back on commutes. They can cut back on long weekends at the beach or in the mountains or what have you. There are all sorts of ways for people to reduce gasoline consumption without getting a blueprint out of President Bush or the Democratic Congress. These are decisions that people ought to make, and if we leave prices alone, people will have ample incentives to conserve and to spend their energy dollars wisely. Isn't reducing oil imports a good thing? Not necessarily. I mean, we import oil for a reason. It's cheaper than the oil we could get from here at home or the energy we can get from any other source. I mean, the case for importing oil is the same as the case for, say, importing computer chips. If it's cheaper to buy these computer chips from abroad, then we're made wealthier by buying them from abroad rather than buying them from someplace else. Similarly, when it comes to oil, we import oil for a reason. It's cheaper than the alternatives. And restrictions on oil imports will make the economy worse off and make consumers poorer, not richer. It's a mandate to restrict oil imports is to restrict the availability of cheap energy by its very definition. So it's very odd to hear a president who extols the virtue of free trade making a very anti-trade argument. There's nothing different about oil that isn't shared by any other commodity in the marketplace. Free trade is a good thing regardless of the commodity in question. But it's not the same as computer chips. Importing oil is a matter of national policy because it has geopolitical implications. Well, what does or does not have geopolitical implications is defined by politicians. So there's no particular reason why politicians need to worry about the availability of foreign oil. After all, oil producers need our money more than we need their oil. They have every reason to sell, regardless of how much they hate the United States. Even after we bombed Muammar Gaddafi in 1986 and killed his daughter, he still sold oil on the world market. Even after the Shah of Iran fell and the Ayatollah Khomeini took power, probably the most anti-American leader in modern history, they still sold oil on the world market, were happy to do so. Even Saddam Hussein, after the Gulf War, wanted to sell oil to the United States and the world market. It was only a U.S. embargo that kept him from doing that. So the idea that we need to worry about supply cutoffs from foreign producers is silly because these foreign producers have no other source of revenue. If they were to stop selling oil, that means they would stop paying for their troops. They would stop maintaining their military. They would shut down their secret police. They would shut down funds for Hezbollah and whatnot in Hamas. It would shut down their palaces. They would have no food or clothing. They have no other source of revenue. So the idea that we need to worry about economic suicide on the part of producers is fairly much a stretch. It's certainly true that supplies could be disrupted, say, through terrorist attack or something like that. But 
energy independence won't protect us against that. Even if all of our oil came from Kansas, a supply disruption in Saudi Arabia would increase the price of crude oil everywhere in the world, including the crude oil made in Kansas. That's why in 1978, when Great Britain, which was energy independent, experienced the fall of the Shah of Iran, oil prices in Great Britain went just as high as oil prices in Japan, even though Great Britain was energy independent, got no oil from the Middle East at all, and Japan was entirely dependent upon imported oil for its economic needs. So energy independence doesn't provide any protection against terrorist strike. What are we doing to hedge against possible disruptions and protect our access to oil in the future? The market is already hedging against these risks. I mean, there's been a huge buildup in the dollars being pumped into oil futures markets, and there's been a rise in oil inventories for a reason. George Bush isn't the only person on planet Earth who's noticed that foreign oil might be disrupted by terrorist attack. And the market is accommodating that concern by sinking a lot of investment in putting aside oil for a rainy day. And so it's not altogether clear to me why the government needs to take action when the market is already taking that action for us. How can we be sure that we're stockpiling enough oil? Well, everyone has a different assumption and different calculations regarding the likelihood of supply disruptions and that sort of thing. So no one can know a priori what's the right amount of inventory to hold. But I can guarantee you that people in the oil markets who have every reason to make the correct calculation here because millions of dollars are going to stand or fall based on those decisions are going to act accordingly. Now, one thing we've seen in oil markets is that this increase of money coming into the oil futures market and the inventory buildup we've seen has convinced a lot of economists that oil prices today already reflect essentially a tax of, say, maybe 10 or $20 per barrel that reflects the fear of future disruption and reflects the interest in putting aside oil for a rainy day. So think of that as the energy market imposing a tax on the very thing that George Bush fears the most, future supply vulnerability. It seems to me the market's already accounting for things. Now, if the president's going to say, well, that's not enough, I would ask, based on what? Does George Bush have a better sense of how vulnerable our oil supplies are than, say, people at ExxonMobil, than people at British Petroleum, than all sorts of different middlemen or than people who run the Rotterdam futures market or for any of the other millions of economic actors who buy and sell futures and futures contracts every day or who engage in purchases on the stock market every day in spot markets around the world? No. These things should be best left to the market. If George Bush knew better than millions of market actors what true risks were, what truly was or was not efficient, then he would be the first person that we've ever seen who was qualified to efficiently run a totally centrally planned economy. I doubt he's that smart. He's a smart man, but he's not that smart a man. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.